0: This is Dr. Rahi, and you're listening to The Treatment, your source for all things health, wellness, and beauty. If you like what you have heard in today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hi, this is Dr. Rahi. Welcome back to The Treatment. Today, I have Nora and Dr. Malcolm. Nora is the co-founder of Open Beauty and Dr. Malcolm is the clinical advisor. Open Beauty is a Silicon Valley-based tech company that is focused on bringing aesthetics and patients together, making it more accessible and easier for patients to maneuver. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on today. I think this is really important that we're talking about how technology is helping us improve our treatments as physicians, especially I do a lot of aesthetics. And so this is an important topic for me. So can you tell me a little bit or either of you how open beauty is making aesthetics more accessible to the general consumer?
1: Yeah, um... I can share my journey into this world of aesthetic medicine and um, how that informed the product that we're building today. So what is really interesting is that, you know, millennial women like myself, we are sort of peering into the world of aesthetic medicine and the, there are always these dynamics of like, who do I turn to, to ask these questions about? And so for me, a group of my girlfriends were together and we started having these conversations around, you know, you know, what is Botox? And like, is that something we should be doing? And who, which clinicians do we see like who in San Francisco is good. Right. And I started noticing that these conversations were happening more frequently. And I also, at the same time, realized that, you know, there isn't that many good sources online. There isn't, you know, a a one stop shop for where I can find information on you know which clinician is credentialed, what type of product, which treatments, um, and you know what what pricing am I expected to pay um, specifically for non invasive aesthetic medicine, and that experience led me to build Open Beauty, and the vision being. There's a whole new consumer segment that's digitally native, meaning we're millennials are expecting everything to be at our fingertips and we want answers really quick. So how do we bring that world to to aesthetic medicine and and make this an easy discovery process?
2: And I think Nora, that's a, a really salient point because traditionally the the players, you know, kinda of in the space are clinicians. And clinicians t- traditionally are more traditional and they like to have people call to schedule an appointment and they like to, you know, or do the follow up, you know, right after the last appointment. And it's a little bit hard to kind of get physicians and clinicians really on the same page in terms of adopting technology. And I feel like that has been another really frustrating pain point for a lot of millennial women today.
0: Yes. And I I, I agree with you guys on that. Um there definitely is not one website that allows or or source that allows patients to really find an aesthetic provider. There's surgical sites for this, like for surgical procedures, but there's nothing really for aesthetics. And I feel, and I'm sure you agree, Dr. Malcolm, that aesthetics is changing so quickly and it's growing. And a lot of things, a lot of procedures are shifting where patients are doing a lot more non-invasive. Do you find that to be true as well, that patients are more inclined to do more non-invasive procedures than to go to the surgical
2: route? I think that is absolutely true. I mean, I think by and large, you know, when you're talking about surgery, you're talking about a major investment, a major commitment, you're going to be spending, you know, Thousands up to tens of thousands of dollars, and having a, a true permanent alteration. And you know, surgery is not without its risks. And so, I think these non-invasive procedures are a lot more attractive. I mean, the downtime is, is is almost non-existent for for most of them. And if it is, it's just you know a couple of days to a couple of weeks. And then you're coming in at a much more affordable price point that a lot. Of millennial women can really easily tap into. And it just feels like it's a lot more accessible. You know, yes, the Botox is something that you might have to come and get touched up every couple of months, but it's a lot less of a commitment to a full facelift or eyelid surgery or something that's just so invasive on your body. There are a lot of different providers who are kind of in the aesthetic space, particularly for the non-invasive procedures. And you also find too that traditionally, you know, the plastic surgeons who did all the surgery, they themselves are now focusing more on the non-invasive because it's just taking up such a large part of their own market. Um, And I think that, you know, obviously there are going to be some indications where you know a patient (laughs) a patient really is best served by a facelift. But I think for the vast majority of people out there, that's not going to be the case. And I think that really, um, we're going to see a lot of transformation and what we can do non-invasively.
0: Right. And people all over the country and the world want to look good. Um, and so this is important to have access to aesthetics and understand it better because people just don't understand it, what it is. I mean, people know Botox, but what about the other procedures? How is like, what's open beauty's vision in bringing that together?
1: yeah absolutely. I think um millennials are growing like they're they've tripled in user base in terms of non invasive aesthetic, and they're outpacing baby boomers and gen Xers. so like that is where the future is and so for for us at open Beauty, it's building a digital solution for the questions that they have. Essentially, the product is a discovery platform, and what we do is give them equip them the answers to the questions funnel them to the right clinicians, um, and educate them on what's available to them. You know, in in all honesty, it all comes down to like an, an emotional, um, an emotional connection. Like these are semi-permanent body alterations and you know, a a Yelp search isn't going to do the job. Right. Um, I actually
0: boycotted Yelp if you want to know the truth. (laughs) I, I I think we're awful. Um, so I boycotted them. But yeah, where are people getting their sources? I know my patients get a lot from Instagram, but where are millennials or any potential client patients interested in aesthetics? Where, where, where are they getting their research from? Yeah.
2: I mean, I I would almost kind of throw this, you know, back back to you too, Dr. Rahi, because I think that it's interesting that By and large, a lot, you know, Instagram is definitely a way that, you know, people kind of discover different providers. But I think as we're entering an age where people are just not afraid to talk about the fact that they've had, you know, they've had some fillers, they've had some lasers, they've had, you know, microneedling. And I think that through word of mouth, finding somebody that you feel comfortable with. I think that's actually, you know, how a lot of people are finding it now. And I think particularly for, you know, people of color, this is something where there's a lot of risk depending on what treatments you're going to do. You can't sit in front of everybody's laser and think that you're going to get rejuvenation. Like you can end up with scars, you can end up with burns. And so I think really having a a strong network of people who can, you can say, oh, yeah, I went to, you know, Dr. So-and-so and she did this and she did that. She's really excellent. I think those types of recommendations will always trump anything you kind of find on the internet. And I think the beauty of open beauty is that we're trying to kind of blend the two. And so really it's a personalized discovery. So we're already going to say, okay, this person, your skin type five, you have a, you're likely to hyperpigment if we do, you know, this laser, but I know you want to get laser hair removal. And I know that, you know, this provider down the street has the exact laser for you and for your skin type. And so we're trying to kind of blend that recommendation that you'd get from your best friend with the knowledge and the expertise of all of these clinicians on one platform.
0: That is so important to know that your provider understands your skin tone, I guess is not really talked about or out there that you need to, you need to go to somebody who understands that like the different lasers can affect your your skin tone if you have darker skin or if you have lighter skin um what you're more at risk for and so that's super super important and is open beauty planning on creating options for patients to sort of put in their skin color and their concerns and sort of like connect
1: yes so there is there's an onboarding experience that uh the consumer goes through Um, you'll take a quiz and we'll kind of um, determine which um, clinician is, you know, relevant to your need. Um, And what we are seeing is that, you know, with the, there is definitely an an advancement in the type of treatments that are coming out. There's a lot of innovation happening within um, aesthetic medicine. And um, sometimes the consumers themselves don't necessarily know which treatment is relevant to them. And so being able to funnel clinicians based on expertise, uh, which, you know, what assets do they have? um, What credentials do they have? And is this the right clinician for you is what we're solving for. Um, And then on the other hand, as a clinician, you know, there are specific type of clientele that you probably want to treat. Um, And, you know, there is some market segmentation happening on the consumer side as well. So being able to speak to your audience. Right. Um, And uh, Dr. I maybe that's something that, you know, you have experience with as well.
0: Yeah. I think my client base, just because I've been using Instagram for most of my marketing, um, my client base is usually younger, more, more millennial. Um, But I definitely treat older people and I treat people of all skin types, but yeah, I have certain, I mean, I don't have all the lasers, And, you know, I've had people of darker skin complexion come and want to get, you know, certain resurfacing that I don't offer. And I, I even sometimes have to look around to see who I can refer them to. So it'd be a great resource for me to know who's around me so I could refer them. I think that's super important for clients to know that they're going to someone who understands their body as well. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And and also knowing, you know, which, um, which clinician you know is the best at whatever treatments you're interested in in your geography, right? Like you might discover a really cool clinician through Instagram that's on the other side of the country, um, and yeah. <laughs> so then it's like, can we point you into the direction of like within locally for you, where can you find um, you know, get these results?
0: Right. I mean, in LA where I, my office is currently where I'm sitting, um, there's, I think on within this building itself, there are other aesthetics clinics. And then within like less than a mile radius of me, there's probably at least maybe like 50 to a hundred different people providing some sort of aesthetic procedure. But I think it might be different in different parts of the country, obviously. And that's super important for people to really understand that aesthetics it should, can be accessed by everybody, and that I also like to tell people that aesthetics is part of self care. It's not just vanity. When you look good, you also end up feeling good too, and vice versa. When you feel good, you look good too. And how yeah. is how is opening? No, absolutely. You? I know you're launching more in the bigger cities initially. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So right now we're doing a select beta. Uh, We have a handful of clinicians. And if that's, you know, if you are a tech forward clinician that's interested, um, definitely, you know, ping us, you can find us on on, um, our website. And uh, yeah, so we're focusing on the hub cities, because that's where we see a lot of the trends starting off with. Um, But you'd be surprised, a lot of the demand does come from second tier cities, like, you know, Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, Um, So it's truly aesthetic medicine is very universal. um, And to your earlier points, I think it's so sad when people miscategorize this, you know, healthcare vertical as as something that's like vanity driven when we're talking about like the biggest organ, you know, people's relationship to their self. So in a way, I think we are currently seeing a cultural shift towards greater acceptance uh, of treatments. Um, and we see this in younger like demand coming at a younger age. and the, the question now becomes as demand grows, who are the right like who are the proper clinicians, right? Um, and making sure that people get the best outcome that they're looking for. Um, so that that's like the vision here is empowering people to find the right clinician for them and you know, I, I don't
0: know. If, I like what, I like this model better than the model of calling your insurance company and then they give you a list and then you just call. <laughs> um, but going through actually um stemming from that, um, when because I know Dr. Malcolm is PGY two, right? In That's dermatology right. at the Cleveland Clinic. So how would you cause this is actually something that um, I try to differentiate all the time with my patients, but in your definition, how would you distinguish general dermatology? Somebody who like has insurance will go and see a dermatologist for like, for example, a mole versus aesthetics. How do you yeah, tell? your I patient?
2: think I think that it, I think that's such a, a great question. You know, I I think a lot of people think, kind of think of dermatology as like rashes and Botox and. And, you know, skin cancers, but really the field is very, very broad and we see a wide range of conditions, you know, from, you know, some of those cutaneous malignancies all the way down to really endemic rashes that are from different countries, literally everything in between people who have just hundreds of moles on their body. And you're trying to figure out which ones of these are going to be a melanoma and things like that. I think where it gets particularly interesting at the intersection of like traditional health and beauty. Um, actually a lot of the time is for our skin of color patients. So one of the most common complaints and concerns that I feel like I see is that people are worried about discoloration, hyperpigmentation, hypopigmentation, which is often the result of them having had some prior insult, whether that be, you know, a traumatic scar or a rash that has left this behind. But then now they're coming to us for a medical treatment and then their insurance company is saying, well, this concern that you have that's considered cosmetic that's not something that we're going to treat but you're talking about a young woman or a young man who you know previously had pristine skin and now because of lupus they have scars and 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 discoloration visibly on their face and so they're coming to us to understand how do we correct that and and for and in my opinion at that point it's not it's t- technically cosmetic but really it's restorative work that we do and yeah. you obviously have people who are coming solely for electives to say you know I would like my nose to be reshaped or my or my lips to be augmented but I really think that you'd be surprised at how many people are coming really just to in- enhance things that are already, going okay but they've just had you know a few bumps along the road that they need to have restored and corrected
0: yeah that's tough though dealing like differentiating like g- dermatology that insurance will cover versus cosmetic and it doesn't make very much sense to me if you want me to be honest but <laughs> it doesn't because um It just doesn't. Um, Just like so many things in 2020 didn't make sense to everybody. So there's just some things you don't have an answer. Um, Sometimes that's why I actually decided in my clinic I don't offer, I don't take insurance, I don't deal with it because I just can't. My brain doesn't turn on to that. Yeah, that's really important to know that um, a lot of aesthetic procedures aren't covered by insurance. So like having sort of a central space where people can find the right provider is important.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I think what we will see is that as this market matures a bit, it, it is going to become more commercial and consumers today do under, like are starting to understand that, you know, this is, I don't necessarily, it's not covered by insurance, so it's more, it aligns more with my beauty ritual. It's part of, you know, just as I get my nails done and, you know, I go to the spa, get my hair done, like aesthetic medicine is starting to kind of fall into that same bucket um, of spend in the, in the consumer's mind.
0: That's true. That is, I, I tell people to plan their faces and plan their aesthetic procedures for like the year, the next two years, the next three years, and like budget for it because I think it's important that people um, you know, just because an insurance company doesn't think it's important, doesn't mean it's not important. Um, and so oh, right. I it's important to invest into yourself. And as we were saying earlier, it's your biggest organ. What's your, Dr. Malcolm, what are your favorite procedures? Kind of off topic, but.
2: <laughs> so I, um when I was in medical school, I also thought a lot about, um, you know, going into surgery actually. And so I, I really enjoy procedures that are more hands-on. So a lot of the more injectables, particularly like with the non-surgical rhinoplasties and under eye fillers and things like that. I, I, I think lasers are also a lot of fun because you're really at the intersection of like science, beauty, and like physics. And I feel like there really isn't anything else that kind of hits that intersection. But for me, there's really, you, you don't really get the same level of being able to like shape and kind of form um, what you're doing. So I would say, I would say more of the Injectables.
0: I love, I love injectables. Um, Has the Cleveland Clinic um, started playing with PDO threads yet?
2: So that that you know, great question. So we um, at the Cleveland Clinic, you know, we have a a number of you know different providers, and I think as I think about my own um, you know career of being at the intersection of of healthcare technology and aesthetic medicine, I think that. Once I become an attending and and able to staff, you know, different clinics at the Cleveland Clinic, I think incorporating some of these more invasive procedures would be something that I'd be interested in. And I think, you know, really the goal of a platform like Open Beauty is to help people find and figure out, you know, like we mentioned before, like who's doing some of the latest procedures and and, and what procedures should you even, you know, be looking for? Um, Because not everybody, you know, needs that level of an, an of invasion, But I think really being able to have this platform where people can figure out, say, okay, I'm, I'm not really satisfied with, you know, my under eye circles, or I'm not really satisfied with, you know, I have a little bit of extra skin under my chin. Right. You know, as Nora mentioned, what are the procedures that I want to even think about? And then now that I know what those procedures are, who are the people who are kind of doing those? And I think really that's kind of the the beauty um, of the space.
0: I love that. I think that that makes so much sense to me. Cause you're right. Cause in my head, I'm thinking people are just searching filler or Botox, but no, because people like, sometimes people don't even know what filler or Botox is. I was actually reading an article the other day and they were making fun of a celebrity who had too much Botox in her lips. And that makes no sense. Right. Cause it's like filler. <laughs> right. And so people don't even know what Botox does, what filler does. They just hear these terms and it's like thrown out there. So how is OpenDuby gonna educate the consumer and tell the consumer how what what is their recommendations based on their concerns? How do you guys plan on implementing that into the system?
1: Yeah, so the key for us is to really have the clinician voice at the core of our community. So our our job is to highlight clinicians like yourself, Dr. Rahi that are, you know, subject matter experts and leading voices and um, centering those voices in the product. Um, and, you know, it is interesting that today the consumers are getting information through Instagram and even YouTube videos. Um, and some of that information is not coming from credible sources, mm-hmm. um, you know, to the point where, there are people doing, you know, their own lips at home, watching do-it-yourself videos on YouTube on how to do fillers. And that's dangerous. That's awful. That's awful. It, it's, it, that's and so you, you know, the audience, is, it, it's super scary. Um, and sometimes, you know, the audience skews younger. So these are, you know, women in their early 20s or in teenagers consuming this information uh, from, you know, beauty influencers and that that to me is heartbreaking.
0: But how are you going to so, um, TikTok is addictive. Instagram is addictive. How are you going to c- capture people's attention away from those platforms and like bring them to Open Beauty so that they really get the right information?
2: Well, I think you know, kind of like Nora was saying before. You know, on TikTok and Instagram, you know, someone may be living in you know St. Louis, Missouri, and they may find you know your profile. But if you're not located near them, all the information you can get about aesthetics isn't really beneficial to you unless you're willing to travel, you know, to New York or to Los Angeles to to actually go and get the treatment. And so I think it's, again, being at that intersection where the patients and the consumers are able to get the information that they need and discover the, the treatments, but also being able to find people to, they can go and have that experience with in person. And so I, I don't think that, you know, open beauty would necessarily replace, um, people getting information on Instagram, but I think it will help empower them to say, okay, like I see they're telling me to, you know, do this or do that. But really I know, you know, based on, you know, my provider in my own net, my own network in my own neighborhood, these are maybe things I shouldn't be doing, or maybe these are things I need to ask my provider about, um, if I did see it on Instagram.
0: That's good. Yeah. Um, there I mean, I think there is a lot on Instagram and um, social media where people are kind of bombarded with so much information, um, but it's good for people to have a place where the information is validated and from an, an, a source that has the education behind it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's, it's going to take all players within the industry, you know, like it's it, to, to make sure that we're trending in the right direction and that, you know, the space of aesthetic medicine is body positive and uplifting and truly centers the needs of, um, you know, the, the clients you serve. Um, and that's going to take clinicians like yourself, that's going to take, you know, startups and te- tech players um, and, the, and the bigger pharmaceuticals to kind of recognize that we're we're in this space together and if we center the the needs of the clients oh. we're we'll trend in the right direction but there's definitely there are bad actors in the space and there are people that have no business um injecting that are out there injecting And so uh, for yes, us
0: this is very true i've actually you know since i sorry to interrupt but i don't want to mm-hmm. lose it when i first started aesthetics um, doing aesthetics and then you know as I've progressed I've heard of so many random people doing things out of like their homes who are probably not licensed um, yeah. I've heard of cases in both um, the United States in California I think I think places that you think that the stuff like would not happen um in Canada there was a recent case where Um, a nurse, uh, who wasn't licensed to do it out of her home, injected somebody. And I believe the patient had some severe complication. Um, anyways, the nurse was like friends with my mother, but, uh, she ended up getting in a lot of trouble, but a a lot of times like this just happens and it's like under the table and nothing ever, like it just, it just, it just happens. And that's awful. (laughs) Yeah. You
2: know, yeah. In the
0: industry I, that is so black market too. I feel like there's so much under the table, under the sort of black market aesthetics going on. Is there any other industry that does that?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Malcolm, did you have
1: a, a thought there?
2: Um, I mean, I, I, I did. Um, <laughs> I, I, actually, Nora, you kind of touched on this too, but I think a part of it is just, Really, keeping the voices of you know respected and established clinicians, you know the foref- at the forefront, um, to to say like no, like like it right is right and wrong is wrong, and like these are things that like no, we don't recommend you getting like inject you know injected in somebody's like basement. That's ridiculous. Um, and I, and I think too, <laughs> and I think too, um, you know, we ca- we've kind of talked a lot about what Open Beauty really offers to you know clients and patients. But I think Open Beauty is also kind of this opportunity for clinicians to really interface with technology in ways they haven't before. And, you know, 2020 has definitely been interesting because the pandemic has really forced clinicians to interface um, with technology. And I think that that's going to only be an ongoing trend. And we also see Open Beauty as being a way um, to help the providers. So, for example, you know, if you are, trying to have patients who want to get fillers with like sculpture, for example, you can only draw up so much. And if you don't use the entirety of the volume, you're going to have to have that be wasted if you don't have enough clientele. Well, through an optimized schedule, we can solidify all of the patients who are going to be getting this particular product on on these particular days such that we're optimizing exactly how much material is used and even to you know dynamically altering the schedule to say okay we've we've kind of over indexed on how many people are coming in for um laser hair removal but it seems like we got a, a crazy demand for botox how can we dynamically on the fly without going to a paper charter without having a human you know manually do this Alter the schedule and alter the available slots such that the patients are getting what they want, and the clinicians are filling their clinics with the types of people that they want to see.
0: I would love- when they want to see them. <laughs> when is Open Beauty coming out so that we can benefit from this? Because I need this in my clinic.
1: <laughs> yes, and you know, Doctor, we're we're working with you on this, so you're you're actually part of the the earliest cohort of clinicians that we're <laughs> collaborating with. <laughs> Um, so we are super excited about that.
0: I love that.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, so for us, it's, we're, we're in the beta phase right now in San Francisco, LA and looking at New York city. Um, if you are a clinician that, that you think this is a good fit for, you know, sign up on our wait list and we'll, we'll come back to you and, you know, make sure that this is that you're at the stage of your business where this makes sense for you, um, and, and then, from there, we'll collaborate and l- listen we our vision really is for clinicians to feel empowered and allow them to do what they do best, which is treat clinicians uh, treat consumers and the back end we want to take care of so allowing clinicians to shine um, and finding you know consumers that are relevant for them that's that's the vision here.
0: I love that I think that's super I think what you're doing is great um and you're, you, you co-founded this. When, when did you start with working on open beauty? Actually, I, I don't think I know. This. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we, we started about a year ago, a year and a half. Um,
2: and I don't it think like it's been that long.
1: Yeah, it has. <laughs> it, it's been, it's been a beautiful journey. Um, and we've had some really good insights um, specifically on the consumer side. Um you know, what's really interesting is that prior to founding Open Beauty, I actually worked at a medical spa for a few months to truly, truly understand the operational side of things. Wow. Um, and that's, that's something that's really important to me as a founder. I, I, I fundamentally believe that you need to build something that people need. Um, and you, and to understand that need, you need to have walked in their shoe. So I, I've seen the operating side. Um, I understand like the the business bottlenecks, um, you know. Running a clinic is not easy. Running a med spa no. is not easy. No. Um, it, it's tough. It's really tough. So you, you right. guys are entrepreneurs too, you know, like Dr. Yeah. You're running a business. You're not just a physician. No. You're a CEO at the same time.
0: And it's crazy because it's like I just turned on my business brain and I just went with it. I don't have any formal – I don't have an MBA or any formal training in business. It was all science, science. You know, until I finished, and then I'm like, "Guess what? I want to start my own business and and you are, and you
1: did, and we're we're so grateful for that. Um, I think you know as, as a female founder myself, I think we the world needs to see more women in you know building organizations, more women running businesses, more women becoming you know it. clinicians. Yes, that's, I think that's where the future is, and so mm-hmm. I, i'm I'm excited.
0: Actually, I wanted to talk to you more about being a founder, a female founder in Silicon Valley, and your experience with that, Um, because that's so interesting to me. Like, if I wasn't doing this, maybe I could like drive up to SF and like start (laughs) doing things in Silicon Valley. I don't, I don't know if I could even do that. I'd like to know what your experience is.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, first of all, I would love for more women to to enter the space um, so that if, if there's anyone listening, um, I'm, I'm making myself available as a resource. You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, I also do a little bit of angel investing on the side. So um, if there are entrepreneurs listening, definitely hit me up. Um, but the the experience of being a woman in Silicon Valley is an interesting one in that you know I'm pitching male investors, male VCs who don't have context for aesthetic medicine, they, Mm -hmm. you know, for them, it's like, this is almost like an an invisible um, vertical with, um, and it's interesting because it's, it's my job to convince them of, Hey, there are some real problems that we can solve using software. There's some real opportunities um, that we can transform using technology, um, but on the other side, when you're talking to, you know, an investor that doesn't understand the market, it it becomes challenging. And so,
0: you know, I I (laughs) want to argue with that though. I think there are men interested in aesthetics. I just don't think people are educated enough on it to understand that both men and women benefit from it. A hundred percent.
1: And that's also part of, you know, the conversations I have with, with some VCs of listen, like, this market is attracting, you know, people of all walks of life, you know, of all ages, um, of all identities. Um, and so it's, you know, it's more so being in a super tech bro culture where, you know, it's p- people are looking at, you know, I want to build the next Facebook, I want to build the next Snapchat. It's, it's less, you know, healthcare focused or uh, even small businesses because, you know, Dr. Rahi, as I mentioned, you are an entrepreneur. You are a CEO. You're running a small business, and so building digital tools to help you run your business more efficiently and more uh, profitably that that's a huge opportunity for for a tech entrepreneur to build in. Um, and so, yeah, it's um, being a female founder is challenging, but also offers room for a lot of growth. And um, I'm sure you. Your experience being a woman in medicine is probably there's probably some parallels there.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, most definitely. I think, for yeah, for sure. Um, but I I like the idea of being a female founder. I think I kind of want to like do that now. <laughs> it sounds- love it. <laughs>
2: Go for it.
0: <laughs> I just think you know you don't hear that. You don't hear too many women in Silicon Valley doing anything. And, um, I, I love that you're doing that. And I love that you're doing something that's so in line with what I practice and that we ended up meeting. That's so cool.
2: I think that we hit on a lot of, um, really great topics. And I think that for anybody listening to this podcast, I think that it was a conversation about, you know, what open beauty has to offer and, and really how that fits in, in the changing aesthetic space. And so I hope that, you know, people will be excited about us, excited about um, what we're doing. Um, Like Nora said, you can go to the website and be a part of our our test pilots, which are launching um, in a few cities. I think right now it's focused mostly in New York, but I think, you know, next coming months, you know, we'll certainly be expanding to other locations and geographic regions. And I think that, you know, stay tuned for what we have coming up next.
0: I love that. I'm so excited. I think it'll be great. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. And I look forward to hearing the episode. Likewise.